Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Paddock Pass podcast, follow-up show fueled by Elf Mark VDS Racing. My name is Neil Morrison. 2021 season is nearly over, but not quite yet, because I'm here uh, to bring you all the follow-up from the Model 2 and Model 3 races that we had in the Algarve GP in Portugal. I am uh, recording this in the safe confines of my house, and uh, I'm pleased to say that I'm joined by a gentleman who is not in the confines of his house, Mr. David Emmett. Hello, sir. Welcome. Where do we find you? Um, south of you for uh, for the first time in a very, very long time, uh, because I'm already in that Valencia where there's going to be a uh, a Grand Prix, it seems. Some kind of event is on, um, and I thought I might pop along and see it. Yeah, that's uh, good to hear. Well, Steve English, I think, is up to his knees in golf, the the sad man. Uh, Adam Wheeler is up to his knees in mud at the MXGP finale today, won by uh, Jeffrey Harlins. And David Emmett is up to his knees in paella, Dave? Not yet, not yet. No, that's 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 for once we finish talking. Okay, yes, that's uh, that's for later, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, plenty to get through here. We saw pretty uh, lackluster MotoGP race in the Algarve, um, but pretty impressive and pretty exciting races in both Moto2 and Moto3. Obviously, the big, big story from the weekend was the Pedro Costa was crowned the 2021 Moto3 World Champion after an incredible rookie season. Um, and also, in the Moto2 class, Remy Gardner took a seismic step towards clinching his first uh, Moto2 World Championship, his first World Championship anywhere, in fact. Uh, just a 13th place is all that is needed from Remy in the final race to secure that after he beat his teammate Ralph Fernandez in a very absorbing fight. But I think the only place that we can start, Dave, is Moto3 because uh, Pedro Acosta won the World Championship and it wasn't just that he won the World Championship. He won it after a fantastic race. We got what we wanted. It was a in many ways, a direct fight between him and Dennis Foggia. It was a sensational race right from the start to the finish and just high on drama. Yeah, I mean, there was drama everywhere and it was. It was a fantastic race. I mean, the, the build-up to it was fantastic as well because, you know, Dennis Foggia is on a roll. He came into Portimao looking really, really strong. Um, he qualified uh, fourth and Acosta only qualified a 14th. But then we saw in the morning um, Acosta absolutely blitzing the warm-up. I mean, just embarrassingly faster than everyone else. I think nearly eight-tenths of a second faster than the second person um, and nearly nine-tenths quicker than Foggia. Uh, and then he was giving Foggia a little cheeky wave and just generally being um, uh, a bit of a, uh, a unpleasant person, shall we say. Um, uh, giving it a bit of the old mind games, which for someone who's only bloody 17 is actually a little bit cheeky. Um, uh, but when he, I mean, like the race, he rode an absolutely fantastic race, exactly the kind of race which has got him into this place in the, fir uh, in the first place. Um, Fodger, I mean, you can't fault Fodger. Fodger rode a fantastic race as well, really, really quick from, uh, from start to finish and, you know, tried to dominate the race, couldn't get away. Um, but made sure that he was always in sort of the first couple of seconds, and then, um, yeah, I mean, and then and then we got to turn three on the last lap. Yes, exactly. Then uh, that there dive bomb uh, appeared from nowhere and uh, disrupted the the rhythm of the race. Um, a quick question about Pedro's antics and warm up: were they savoury or unsavoury in your eyes? Um, they were. Um, well, I said at the time that if you're really confident about uh, actually having this whole thing in the bag, then the, you don't need to do that sort of thing. You don't need to be messing about. 
Um, to me, it reeked of uh, nervousness. Uh, but I mean, you know, obviously my interpretation of that is as good as my race predictions. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, is it savory or unsavory? It's fine. You know, it's perfectly fine. It's, it's quite funny. Um, uh, and it's nice to get it. It also, it just draws attention to the whole thing. It sort of plays in, it plays into it. Uh, and like a cost, especially with Valentina Rossi leaving MotoGP, we need, you know, cheeky chappies to be messing about. Well, I mean, we got that with Jack Miller in the press conference. The best thing about the whole MotoGP race was Jack, Jack Miller and, and Shuan Mir um, debating in the press conference, really. Yeah, absolutely. We need uh, we need these kind of characters, these kind of people that uh, don't really care what uh, others think of them. Um, and it was funny listening to Aki Ayo after the race because of Costa, I think it's safe to be it's, it's safe to say that he can come across perhaps a bit too big for his boots, that uh, warm-up uh, incident was uh, a case in point but um, listen to Aki Ayo and he said that um, Pedro's pretty humble within the garage um, and the main thing that he noticed that he had to do was make it a fun environment for him uh, it could never be too serious because if it gets too serious then he loses a bit of concentration and he can't quite focus so it always had to be quite fun and you just wonder whether that uh, that foggy incident and warm up was his way of making a bit of a joke of it uh, to try and maybe uh ease the situation up, although I'm sure it would have uh, revved up uh, the Italian. I mean, can you really be too big for your boots when you're the second, second youngest world champion ever, um, the first rookie to win Moto3, the first rookie to win uh, the, the the lightweight class? Was it since Capi Rossi? Um, 1990, when they stole the championship from Hans Spam, the disgrace. But uh, apart from that, um, yeah, I mean, you know, honestly... He could be whatever he wants. He he has absolutely destroyed a whole bunch of records um, and proved himself. And just the way he was riding was an absolute joy to watch. You know, he's uh, we've spoken about this before. The fact that he is on a Moto three bike, sliding both ends to get the thing to turn. Um, that's not normal. That is not uh, not normal at all. Yeah, we discussed the uh, the incident with Darren Binder on the final lap and Dennis Foggia in the main show, which uh, came out, I think, a day or two ago. So go and check that out uh, for a reaction there. Um, but just before we, we talk about the last lap of this race, Dave, I want to ask you, is uh, Acosta a deserving world champion? Because there were parts of this year where Dennis Foggia definitely looked like the class act of the of the Motor 3 field. Is Pedro a deserving world champion? Yeah, well, one hundred percent because uh, he has the most points at the end of the championship, and this ride, this ride in the Algarve, uh, earned him it. I mean, before even before you know we got to turn three, even before uh, Binder took out Dennis Foggia, um, I think if it had gone down to the wire, then there's a very good chance that Acosta, uh, either Acosta would have won and would have been champion, or he would have been uh, he would have finished just behind uh, Foggia and needed what something like sixteen points and sixteen points at. Um, at Valencia uh, or he would have had a 16 point lead that's a very comfortable lead um, to be taking to uh, to the final uh, Foggia I mean Foggia deserved it as well Foggia rode a fantastic season um, or well he didn't ride a fantastic season he rode a fantastic second half of the season but it was Acosta who was just really really strong uh, all of the time uh, I mean he faded a little bit in the middle uh, do you think he deserves it? Do you think he's a deserving champion? I do think he's a de deserving champion, Dave, and not just because he 
amassed more points than anyone else. I think you look at the season, it's his rookie season, obviously, which is remarkable. Um, and not just that, but I think there were four tracks that we went to this season that he didn't really know. Okay, Qatari had a test there before, so three tracks that he didn't know. And um, I think what he only had one non-score in that entire time, which is ludicrous. Um, he started the season incredibly I think produced some of the best Moto3 performances we've ever seen. You know, that ride through the field in Doha was just mesmeric. How he dealt with the pressure in Hareth was really impressive as well. Um, and uh, I thought it was quite interesting listening to him in the press conference afterwards. He was saying how in the middle part of the season, especially around Silverstone, Aragon, he was having some quite um, severe back pains. He felt that he... Uh, his height was really causing him some physical issues on the bike. Um, and certainly ending the race at Silverstone, he said he had quite a sore uh, lower back. That was just uh, something that was kind of inhibiting him on uh, on the bike. So, um, yeah, when you keep that in mind, it's, it maybe makes a little bit of sense. Um, you know, some of the struggles he had mid-season while Foggia was just amassing those podiums. Um, but as you say, the way he came out swinging this weekend um, with total belief, even on Saturday after his, uh, his tough qualifying, he was talking a very, very good game indeed, saying that, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. I have the best pace. Jamal Massey, my teammate, has the second best pace. I think we should have no issues getting towards the front. And, well, we, we all know you, you look a bit silly if you if you don't manage to do that on a Sunday. But uh, the fact that Pedro did um, was uh, was just remarkable. Um, and then again, you know, it's another race weekend where we had a former legend coming to the track and saying how much he loved Acosta's work. You know, Kevin Schwantz was the guy that was doing it in Coda. Casey Stoner was the guy who was talking Acosta up and saying how fantastic and impressive he's been um, here in the Algarve. Um, I mean, I think if you're 17 years old and these legends of the sport are walking into your garage to tell you how much they admire you, uh, yes, your head might be a little bigger than uh, the average person. Right, yeah, but uh, on the other hand, you know, y you are actually walking the walk. So, um, like I say, it's a bit hard to be big-headed when you are the second youngest champion, uh, uh, Grand Prix champion ever. It's, um, uh, I mean, you know, it's it's hard to brag about something which is it's so incredibly unique. <laughs> exactly, and just one day older than than Caparossi when he won his title. And also, he didn't. He wasn't surrounded by a a um, a pack of his countrymen stealing the champion, helping him steal the championship. Thirty one years ago, let it go, Dave. <laughs> Come on. You can't bring up Caparossi's championship without mentioning Span. It's time to move on. Well, actually, yeah, that and um, that and Argentina. What was it? Ninety-eight in um, uh, uh, with uh, Tetsuya Harada. So um, yeah, there's uh, Caparossi's got form. You're always telling people to to move on from Sepang Fifteen. Well, you need to move on from <laughs> Philip Island Ninety, Dave. <laughs> Everyone has their limit. <laughs> yeah. So. Moving on to uh, the final lap of the race. Uh, as I said, we mentioned this on the main show, or we talked a little bit about this on the main show, but, um, you know, the Darren Binder fallout. Um, obviously, Darren uh, made his name as a bit of a, a rough rider, as a tough character, as a tough passer, uh, maybe a bit on the limit. Um, but I would say over the last two years, Darren has, has cleaned his act up considerably, and we haven't really seen so many uh, scary or, or on the limit antics from him lately. Um, it seemed that a lot of people were happy to jump on the uh, the kind of the, the, the B 
beating Darren Bender with a stick. The lynch mob. Yeah, I mean there was there was there was a proper there was a proper lynch mob. Um, and, it, uh, and it wasn't and it wasn't just riders. It was uh, you know some of our colleagues as well were going in pretty hard. Is it warranted? I. I mean, it, it, the most interesting thing to me about it is the fact that the opinion is so incredibly split. Um, it's not like in other cases where it's really obvious, just really obviously terrible. Um, it, when opinion is split, it usually means there's two sides of the story, and it's one of these sort of edge case things. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a stupid move. He was never going to make. I mean. Yes, he got past uh, Sergio Garcia, which is what he was trying to do, but he was never going to make the corner. Um, he was always going to run wide. And um, it was a, a stupid point to a try to attempt to pass. I do wonder, because he's one of the taller and one of the heavier riders in the class, if this is also why he has to try to do this, because it's the only way he can actually get past them, uh, people. So he's more likely to you know try to get try to dive up the inside of someone it was very interesting hearing lots and lots of different people franco morbidelli saying was it, it you know saying no it was, it was it was normal for moto 3 but moto 3 is not normal um jack miller saying you got to look at the pressure on him uh, peko banya being absolutely you know just uh, he was absolutely uh, well i wouldn't quite, I wouldn't say livid but he was very he was absolutely uh, convinced that this was a terrible move it was a terrible pass and he shouldn't have tried it. Um, uh, I think it was more that Fodger got unlucky uh, that that he was where he was, and I don't think it made any material difference to the outcome of the championship because it really looked like Acosta was uh, going to get close to to wrapping the whole thing up. So um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a stupid move, but it wasn't. It, you know, it wasn't bonkers. It wasn't insane. It wasn't sort of you know some of the idiocy we saw. We saw. I mean, the 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 the, the, the parallel with, with, was drawn with Denis Anchu in um, uh, in Kota, and I think those manoeuvres down that back straight, not just by Anchu but by uh, several other riders, they were far far more dangerous than what Binder did. Yeah, I think if uh, Acosta hadn't taken overtaken Foggia in this instant and sat Foggia up, Foggia was then having to readjust his line almost stationary in the corner. I mean, Darren was was unfortunate the circumstance, but I guess you could say it's the final lap he should maybe be anticipating, considering who's ahead of him, that move, and perhaps he wasn't anticipating that move in general. But I think one one thing that is interesting that is probably worth mentioning on this is that um, McPhee and Binder all year, and pretty much a lot of last year as well, were, were complaining that their bikes have just been done on top speed compared to the other guys. Now, we know that the KTM is probably a stronger package in Model 3 at the moment, with the exception perhaps of Foggia's Leopard team. Now, it's a kind of a mystery to the whole paddock what is going on there, but Foggia and the Leopard bikes have just always been faster than the rest of the field. Um, and it's just, uh, it, it, they're doing something very smart um, to, to have that top speed advantage. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, I, I do like that uh, Honda RC450 that they're racing. <laughs> yeah, and if you if you doubt me, and you doubt what I'm saying, watch back the final lap of the Aragon race and watch uh, Foggia's performance on the back straight there. Um, but uh, yes, it's something that McPhee and, and Binder have been saying recently um, that they are having to try and ride around uh, a glaring top speed deficit. And you, you just wonder whether that is uh, also playing into some of Darren's uh, moves. But I wouldn't say that Darren's been particularly loose this year, certainly not compared to some of his uh, his adversaries. I think he's cleaned his act up a little bit. 
And also with regards to him going to MotoGP, a lot of people are dissing him and slamming him. But I mean, what is Darren supposed to turn that seat down? Like, it's, it's not his fault. Okay, maybe it's maybe there were riders or better options that Yamaha could have chosen for that seat or the team could have chosen. But uh, I mean, Darren Binder is obviously going to take that shot if it's offered to him. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the, 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 that's the thing. I mean, hats off to Bob Moore for uh, for uh, wrapping that up for him. Because um, uh, if you want to blame anyone, really, you need to blame Patronus for pulling out. Because if Patronus hadn't pulled out of MotoGP or pull out of sponsorship, uh, then they'd still be a Moto Two team, and Darren Binder would be on a Moto Two bike next year, um, and not on a MotoGP bike. But basically, because that whole thing collapsed, there wasn't a Moto Two ride for him, which he had in his contract that he had a contract to race next year. Um, and so they sort of had to put him by default on that MotoGP bike. And I think he's, um, I think he's going to be far. I mean, you know, if you're going to go straight to MotoGP, the best bike you can do it on is the Yamaha. Um, it's the easiest bike to sort of get to grips with. Um, he's not going to be winning any races. I don't think, I think it'll suit him better than the, than a Moto3 bike, um, you can't make the kind of passes that you would even attempt on a Moto3 bike on a MotoGP bike because MotoGP bikes are very, very different. So I think it's going to be, uh, uh, I think it's going to be different. I mean, yeah, he's going to be fine. He's, he's, but he's not going to be, you know, he's not going to be world champion in uh, next year. But um, uh, he'll be, he'll be perfectly fine. Yep, absolutely. Well, Pedro Acosta is world champion, and uh, it's uh, it's been a, a pretty impressive uh, ride, uh, pretty impressive performance right the way through the season to do that. We're going to uh, pass on to Paddock Pass podcast contributor, BT Sports, Michael Laverty, who is uh, going to offer his thoughts on the Model 2 and Model 3 Artins and Algarve. Model 3 was definitely the race of the day. So impressive with uh, the championship battle hanging in the balance. Pedro Acosta going head-to-head with Dennis Foggia. And I loved how both riders went at it. It was all on the line, and that's how you want the championship decider to go. It was a great race to watch up to that point. There were some big lunges from Sergio Garcia, from Jama Masiha, and then obviously the last lap lunge from Darren Binder that has everyone talking. And it's a massive shame, actually, that Foggia wasn't able to take that battle all the way to the last corner. And if he could have at least kept it rolling on to Valencia, kept his title hopes alive. So I can understand his frustration and I can understand everyone else's frustration with Darren for causing another pileup. He, he has been better this year. He's, I think it was Thailand in 19 was his last big indiscretion. He's definitely, he's still aggressive. He's one of the last breakers every time when it comes down to the race and he's normally brilliant, but um, unfortunately it was an error of judgment this time. He in his defence, he didn't break any later than the previous lap. I spoke to his crew chief and it was his normal breaking marker. But the problem is when everyone follows in there, you've nowhere to go. You're down the inside. You're trying to pass someone. You've got two bikes in front of you. And they're not just going to disappear. So he should have braked a little bit earlier despite trying to make that overtake because obviously you've no room to thread the needle to go out past. And he ended up collecting the rear wheel of Dennis and took him down. So yeah, frustration all around and um, you could see what it meant to the Leopard team and and to Dennis and they yeah they weren't going to accept Darren's apology so the disqualification was definitely fair and actually in some ways I'm surprised they didn't um, punish Darren further because they've started to make an example of those type of maneuvers but um, yeah Darren's lucky to be back on the grid I think this weekend in Valencia and um, his last Moto3 race which is Amazing when you think about it, but um, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does on the GP bike, although I know there are a few naysayers. It is going to be a, a tall order going from straight from Moto3 
to MotoGP without really the credentials of uh, Jack Miller when Jack did it. He was battling for that championship and was at stages in that season head and shoulders above the others. So, um, yeah, the darn move is a surprising one. But, um, but yeah, the Moto3 title is done and Pedro Acosta, a very deserving champion this season. The Moto2 one, that was different to what I expected, actually, with that race being a tyre war. And obviously, Remy, clever in the end, because when you looked at the practice times from Ralph Fernandez on that soft rear tyre, I thought, he's got seven tenths on everyone, so you're not going to see him come uh, half race distance. He's going to check out. But actually, Remy kept him within reach throughout. And then, obviously, there was a, that crossover point when Ralph's tyre began to drop off. And then the hard tire came to both uh, Remy and Sam. They were they were the two fastest guys on the track. And actually, Sam Lowe's was the quickest guy on track for pretty much the last half of the race. Uh, he was always consistently knocking a few tenths off and another lap, and he may have caught and passed Raul. So it was a great race from Sam, similar to Remy choosing that hard option rear tire, and it paid dividends in the end. But um, yeah, I was glad to see Remy perform like that when the championship gap was getting closer every weekend. He needed that decisive move to show that he wasn't crumbling under the pressure. You know, that tip-off in Texas and struggling for pace in Mizano and uh, having a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free um, card when Ral threw it away in Mizano. It was looking like the championship was slipping out of his grasp. So he turned up in Portimao from Friday practice. He was ready to go. He was really strong in free practice one and kept that form going through the qualifying and all the way to race day. So you could see what it meant to him when he crossed the line and uh, fist pumping so hard he actually hurt his ribs that he'd damaged from that big crash on Friday. But um, I think they've been a class act this year. Both the the Red Bull KTM boys, both Raul and Remy, deserved that step up to MotoGP next year. Although arguably... You could say Raul could have stayed another year and they'd give Iker one more season in MotoGP, but that's by the by, that's done and dusted. And um, yeah, Sam's positioning himself well for a, a championship tilt next season. He's got that consistency back. He's got good speed and staying with Mark BDS. So one more race in Valencia to go and then we'll all be talking about 2022. The thoughts from Michael Leverty there, uh, giving his thoughts on the Moto2 and Moto3 action from the Algarve. Um, now, Dave, we're going to move on to the intermediate class, the final race of the day. Um, we had a, a really interesting battle just there between uh, the two championship assailants, much as we had hoped would happen. Uh, Remy Gardner winning the race from uh, Raul Fernandez. Um, but there was one point in the race where I seem to remember, I don't know why I'm bringing this up, it's not like I want to remind you of it, but there was one point during the race where you said, Raul's going to be champion. And uh, I, I tried to resist uh, coming back in a snide way, but, uh, well, I'm being snide now, so... <laughs> Well, you, you did, uh, to be fair, you did point out that um, uh, Raul was on the softs and um, uh, Remy was on the hard and that uh, the soft was going to go off and you were absolutely bang on. So that's uh, completely fair. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 honestly, Raul wrote a fantastic first half of the race. Um, well, he rode a fantastic race until his tyres went off and that was basically the story of the race. But, but I mean, Remy's performance was just really, I mean, it was it was championship worthy because he had the patience to wait for his tyres to come in. He didn't panic. He didn't push himself. He didn't crash. He didn't do anything stupid. He just waited until his tyres came to him. And when his, once his tyres came to him, he just hunted the, uh, the, 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 the people ahead of him down. 
um, and, and passed them. It, I mean, it, he made it look very, very easy. Uh, and it was just a very, very impressive performance. Um, uh, I mean, he won the championship here. Uh, he, he won the championship at the, in that race. Um, even though there is still sort of theoretical chance that, that Remy could take it. Uh, or that uh, that the Raul could take it, that the Remy could lose it. But yeah, I mean, you know, Remy would have to really do something incredibly stupid and um, uh, 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 that happened. So yeah, I mean, it was just um, it it was it was it was a really really this was a really championship worthy performance by by Remy. And in fact, that was the best thing about both of these races, Moto Two and Moto Three, because also Foggia was riding like a champion, Raul was riding like a champion, an inexperienced rookie champion, maybe, and that's why he lost it. Yeah, definitely been two class acts in both of the series this year. Um, and as you say, Dave, Remy uh, riding like a champion, even more so when you consider the big crash that he had on Friday afternoon when he ran into the back of Marcos Ramirez coming around the final turn, dismounted at uh, a really high speed and landed heavily, I think, on his left ribs. He said that was causing him some issues. Uh, had a big uh, uh, gravel rash, um, I think, on one of his thighs. Wasn't in the best shape. And, well, let's listen to what Remy had to say about uh, how he managed to navigate those difficult physical conditions in the second half of the race. Uh, the last uh, five laps started to come in a little bit, yeah, more fatigue on the left-hand corners and we can't try and push on the handlebars a bit more, but, you know, uh, <laughs> there was too much in, on the line, too much at stake to, to let that get into my head and I just kind of just pushed it aside and just rode my heart out and put my balls where they needed to be and uh, finished the race. <laughs> Remy Gardner, as always, Good for a quote, good for a headline, if you don't mind having multiple expletives in said headline. Uh, Dave, you're a man that uh, does not mind multiple expletives in any of your headlines, um, but uh, it was an interesting race in that, um, well, I found it quite perplexing. I mean, Raul Fernandez was obviously uh, in sensational form, super fast, um, made that break at the start of the race, but I was quite perplexed as to why he went with the softer rear tyre option. Now, Dunlop basically brought the same tyre allocation that they had in Misano, but that was a softer rear tyre allocation than the previous time we came here. So basically, the softer option had never been raced in Portimao before. Um, now, Dunlop were saying on Friday that they didn't think it could go race distance, that um, basically, because Moto2 was the final race of the day, when the temperature went down middle afternoon, they were getting some cold tears with the softer rubber, it sounds strange, but they actually needed the temperatures to remain high as possible. Um, otherwise, it would start tearing up. And on Friday, Dunlop were like, nah, no one's going to use the soft. Yeah, on Saturday morning, what Raul did was um, very impressive, a long, long run on that soft rear tyre. And he plowed ahead with it. Now, I don't know whether he was trying to play some mind games and trying to throw the rest of the field off course. Um, and in fact, he did manage to throw... A couple of guys, of course, guys like Marco Pizzecchi, uh Augusto Fernandez also chose it and tried to make it work for the race with almost disastrous consequences. Um, but uh, this confused me. Why, when you're, when you're doing something like this, would you take such a risk when you probably have to pace on the, the harder rear uh, as it is? Yeah, I, yeah. why would you do it? You do it also perhaps because you're not confident of um, your pace on the same tyre. 
Um, so if he thinks he's going to get beaten by Remy on the same tire, then you gamble on something else. You try, you know, you, you try something else. Uh, also, I mean, like this is what Raul. Uh, this has been sort of like Raul's mo throughout the year. Has been to try. Has been to get away early and to go. Um, he's been able to maintain that. It just absolutely astonishing pace on his own. Um, probably the most impressive thing about his whole uh, progression from Moto Two to Moto Two, or from Moto Three to Moto Two, is the fact that he's he's so strong just riding on his own, um, which is what a lot of Moto Three riders really really struggle with. Uh, so I, it was. I think it was a gamble, and I think it was also a bit of a gamble which gave away that he wasn't really that confident of, of beating Remy in a straight-up fight. He was um, he was a little bit worried about uh, about Remy. And you could tell, but I think he really did believe that it was going to work because if you look at the way, uh, when he came into Par Ferme and he was sort of, you know, staring at his tyre and, uh, and having a proper look at it, and it was obvious that, obvious that it was gone. Um, yeah, I, I think he thought he would pull it off. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, and you could see even from warm-up, uh, he went out and the first line lap that he did, I think, was 1.6 seconds faster than anyone else's first lap. And you just knew there and then, okay, that's his tactic. It's going to be the Jorge Lorenzo try and just break the back of the of the field immediately. Um, but, uh, you know, fair play to Remy. He obviously knew what Raul was capable of and knew that it might not be able to go full race and uh, he managed to stay completely calm even when Marco Bezzecchi came past him so uh, yeah I think as you said Dave uh, a champion's ride in many respects people complain a lot about tyres sort of deciding races but the thing about them in these sort of situations is you have two choices and two of them are equally valid um, but you have to work to make these things work um, and if they if that doesn't if you can't do that then you're in real trouble um, and you know Raul tried uh, his tactic was to, to I mean because what you want to do is open up a big enough gap that the the, the person on the other tyres either can't catch you or or you push them into making a mistake um, so maybe that was also what uh, uh, what Raul was um, uh, was gambling on uh, but yeah Remy Remy did I mean honestly his patience was what impressed me most and his patience is what is what won him that race and probably won him the championship yeah, yeah, absolutely. Coming off the, the back of a couple of, of lousy weekends, uh, Remy Gardner manages to pull it out of the hat just when it matters. I was also just curious, was Raul trying to throw his teammate off course with uh, with the soft, knowing that um, maybe by him running it, he could, uh, he could force his teammate into, you know, maybe uh, experimenting with it or, or risking it as well. Um, and, and in the end it just did not work it, it kind of backfired in some respects a couple of other notable rides uh, down the top 10 Dave in the, the Moto2 class I mean Sam Lowe's um, had a, a really impressive weekend coming through from 8th on the grid um, a decent result from Sam and afterwards he was just saying how happy he was to back up a really strong result at Mizano with another podium here because it's been such an up and down season one high has been followed by one low and so on and so forth but here he's kind of put some consistency together very, very impressive ride by um, uh, by Lowe's. Uh, yeah, as you say, I mean, he, he has been, he, he struggled a few times this year and he made up for it then. You know, he really made up for it. He just did, there was, I don't think anyone was going to get anywhere near um, either Raul or Remy um, uh, in Portimao, but Sam had an absolutely fantastic race. 
Absolutely. And uh, two places further back, Cameron Bobier equaling his best result uh, with a fifth place. Just missed out in fourth. Um, would this be as impressive as what we saw from him in the uh, the Circuit of the Americas at his home race, or maybe more impressive, would you say? Uh, I think it is a sign of what is to come. This is Cam Bobier. Um, I mean, uh, Bobier knew Cota. He knew it like the back of his hand. Um, he, and he knew it on a big four-stroke. Um, we go back from, from uh, or, you know, he's had a whole season now on a bike uh, and he comes back sort of almost a whole season later to the same track. Uh, he sort of put everything together. And you've, we've seen him, he's been getting through to Q2 more and more often. And that's starting to make the make a difference. And I think, I think next year, you know, he'll have a year's ex- experience. Um, I, I think that's going to make the big difference. So it's, uh, yeah. I was quite impressed. I was. I, I, it was a. It was a very, very solid ride. It's the kind of ride that really, honestly, we've been expecting for him from the start of the season. So um, he's going to have to back this up and do this sort of like you know week in, week out next year. Uh, but there's no reason why he couldn't. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and good that uh, Cameron is looking as though he will be bringing some uh, much-needed momentum into the off-season, which uh, you know should hold him in good stead for next year. So uh, good to see the American up there as well. Um, well, Dave, I mean, uh, we both have uh, some uh, bits and bobs to finish up before we uh, before we attack the Valencia GP. I think we will leave it there because there's plenty of other things to be talking about this weekend. We need to save our voices and uh, yeah, save our save our minds. Um, it's been a long season and we're getting towards the end. But um, yeah, I must say I'm looking forward to getting down to Valencia, meeting your fine self for uh, the first time this year at a GP. Yes, indeed. Yes, I mean, <clears throat> I briefly ran into you at, uh, at Assen um, this year, but it'll be nice to actually uh, um, spend uh, spend some time and um, make uh, terrible jokes all weekend. I, I trust that the, uh, the the refrigerator has already been stocked up full of uh, crates of beer and Bacardi. <laughs> Well, obviously, WK, blue cup WKDs. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's the, the you're not going to be here for twenty four hours, so I can't promise it'll still be there by by the time you arrive. <laughs> yes, uh, you are supposed to be picking me up. Remember tomorrow from <laughs> yeah. the uh, <laughs> from the train station. So if uh, you're a no show, I'll know what will what will have happened. Um, so yes, thank you very much, David, for uh, joining us for this edition of the Paddockcast Podcast Follow Up Show. Fueled by Elf Mark VDS Racing. Um, we're heading to Valencia. And thank you for joining us, dear listener. Of course, we'll be coming to you uh, live from the final Grand Prix of the year with our Paddock Note Show. Uh, if you're a $10 a month subscriber on Patreon, you will have access to uh, three, possibly four, depending on the uh, the news breaking on Thursday, the first day of the GP. But there's an extra show basically at the end of every day of the Grand Prix if you want to those to be available you can subscribe for ten dollars a month and uh, you can also become a patreon subscriber for the three dollars a month tier and uh, with that you will also have access to uh, a lot of extra content including some interviews exclusive interviews that we do through the year one or two extra shows that we do in fact not one or two extra shows an extra show a week pretty much after the grand prix um so uh, yeah pop over to patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast if you want to get involved in that and uh, well we'll be coming at you again with some shows very soon indeed thank you very much dear listener for joining us once again see you soon this episode of the paddock pass podcast was produced by jensen beeler david emmett steve english neil morrison and adam wheeler it was edited by brian burnett music is provided by the liberty all inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com 
Oh, there's a little bit of that's magic. Just for a good measure, Brian and JB. It's what I think of you both. 